Hey everybody, Coach here. Hey, thanks for taking a couple minutes to join me on this podcast. No matter where you're at and what you're doing, I appreciate your time. I do very much. Hey, uh, this week we're going to talk about something that if you do it one time, you will remember this skill forever and it is easy provided that you take these few educational steps. We're talking about wiring. Wiring for the landscape, both irrigation and landscape lighting. This is what we cover here this week on Yard Coach, so let's get into it. Hey friends, Maestro here. Just dropping a reminder to check out the podcast description for discount opportunities and any important links. Also, if you're listening to this podcast on a specific app, please don't forget to rate and review the show. It helps us grow and continue to provide these free podcasts. Hey, thanks for sticking with me. Hey, first, let's... Let's set aside some safety issues right out of the gate. When it comes to landscape lighting and irrigation, if you, as the homeowner, are capable of plugging in your hairdryer, capable of plugging in a toaster or an espresso machine or a air fryer, whatever, you can do this kind of wiring without any problem. It's just a little couple of steps that you gotta learn first but I want to take a lot of the high voltage fear out of it because you're not going to be dealing with high voltage except plugging in to a socket. And that's it. That's really all you're gonna do. You're not taking apart panels. You're not taking apart high voltage plugs or anything else. You are literally going to be plugging it in. This is the beauty of landscape wiring. It is 99%, 99 99.5% low voltage when it comes to landscape irrigation and landscape lighting. It is all 12 volt driven. And the chance of high volt electrical shock is almost eliminated. Notice I said almost eliminated. Many creators like myself, many educators, always have to cover our asses because there are those folks out there that will just do it their own way and in some form or fashion, unorthodox and unsafe way of going about it. So I can help you avoid that by two things, listening or watching me here, or following the instructions that come with your appliances to the letter, plain and simple. Deviate away from that, do something weird and different. I guess you could get nipped by high voltage, but you know, in the 20 plus years of doing it, I never got nipped ever, not once, not once. And I never broke into a plug box or anything else. And the only high voltage stuff that I ever did, I had a licensed electrician come out and do it for me. And we'll cover a way, a small shortcut that'll help you when it comes to your wiring. So safety involves following those directions. Like I said, either here or the ones the manufacturer provides for you. So let's cover irrigation first, and then we will wrap up with landscape lighting wiring, okay? The irrigation wiring, this involves two locations. Number one, your automated timer and controller. And number two, the automated electrical valves that you have out in the yard. The timer is basically the brain of the automated irrigation system. They have come a long, long ways from when I was introduced to them in the mid to late 70s. They generally are divided into two categories, indoor and outdoor rated timers. Outdoor rated timers can be placed indoors, but 
indoor rated timers should not go outdoors. The reason being, there are weatherproofing additions on the outdoor rated timers that don't allow water and other things. Basically, it's a rubber gasket seal around it. And when you're plugging it into an outdoor outlet, you should probably put a protective weatherproof bubble cover over your plug. That way, your connection there is not exposed to bugs as much or to blowing in rain and other precipitation. The wiring for the valves on either indoor or outdoor rated timers for the valve wiring is the same. Where they differ is the electrical source side of it. Outdoor rated timers will have a small plastic junction box where a three wire external pigtail needs to come into and needs to be wired into the internal wires. This small box is then screwed closed and the pigtail will be plugged into a standard plug. That's, that's really the outdoor rated timer in a nutshell. For the indoor rated timers, they usually have a two-wired transformer. The two wires are inserted into the screw slots along the wire insert connection line. And you will see it. They are labeled there. They're generally over on the left-hand side. Then the transformer is plugged into a standard receptacle. The indoor rated timer goes indoors like a garage or a shed or some weatherproof dwelling so that the transformer is not exposed to water. So this is the high volt connection chapter. It, that's all there is to it. You're plugging it into the wall and you're making a little pigtail for the outdoor rated one. You're wiring three wires to three wires and putting them in a small box and then still plugging it into a standard. You never have to undo that standard plug receptacle ever. You should never have to do it. Now, from here on, it is all low voltage involved, period. Irrigation wire comes in a few different forms. The most simplistic form are individual rolls of solid copper wire, usually colored in red and then one in white. This is more for commercial application. I'm going to simplify it for the DIY homeowner. And we do lots and lots of runs uh, to various isolated valve assemblies out in the field. Now, for you guys, we have much smaller millivolt type of wire that are colored. They're small wires that are color stranded and then they are coated in a plastic casing. And they usually come in three, five, seven, and nine stranded models. The colored internal wires are like the key to this portion of the wiring. The colors will correspond to each valve out in the field and correspond to each portal in the timer itself. You understand what I'm saying? Here's an example for you. You have a four valve assembly that you've put together out in the yard. You will need a minimum of a five strand wire. Why you ask? You're going to have one common wire plus the four remaining colored wires for each valve, provided no expansion is going to be planned for later. If so, allow for more stranded wire at this valve assembly area, like a, like a seven or a nine stranded wire. What I used to do, I used to write down my colors as I assembled the timer wire itself at the timer. For instance, I used to do maybe, this is just hypothetical, in port number one in the timer, 
it was going to be the yellow wire. Then two was going to be green, three was going to be brown, and maybe four was going to be blue. I always used white as my common wire, and that white common wire always went into the common portal and was secured. Nowadays, it's like you strip a little bit of the casing off that white wire, maybe a half inch, you put it up in there and you just toggle the secure pin down. It's super easy. You don't even need a screwdriver anymore. And then the other ones correspondingly get secured the same way. So yellow, green, brown, and blue. And then, then your wire exits the transformer timer and it goes to where your valve assembly is. Why did I always use the white as the common wire? I don't know, I guess it kind of goes along with the, the high voltage wiring scheme that I know a little bit about. And the white wire was always neutral. The red and blacks were always the hot leads. And then green was always the ground. White was the neutral. So I just used white in this and I never, never did anything different. That's all I did. Whether it was commercial wiring or there was a residential wiring. Now, leaving that timer controller box, you run your wire to where it needs to go to get to that valve assembly outside. This may take many, many routes and many forms. I mean, I've been through walls, I've been in attics, I've been in basements and uncrawl spaces. I have run wire in spider infested dust. Oh, Not my favorite day when I have to do crawl space wiring. I never, never liked that very much, but it was part of the job. But get that sprinkler wire from your controller out to the valves requires many, many routes. If you are lucky, if you are lucky and you have thought it out, you have placed your valve assembly on the outside wall where you have a plug inside that wall. It may be in your family room. It may be in your kitchen. It may be your living room. It may be a bedroom. Whatever it is, you can have an electrician come in, disassemble that indoor plug box assembly, punch a hole right through your wall and outside, and then he can rewire or she can rewire that and bring it outside, create an outdoor rated plug assembly outside. And now you can put your timer right next to your valve assembly and plug it in right into this new box. I did it hundreds of times. I had two electrician friends in my career and they would come out and just do a plug pull through. Very, very simple. And now you're not having to run it underneath crawl spaces or up in attics or wherever. You just come straight through a six inch wall and then put a bubble cover on that new plug outside. And you're maybe three, three feet or less, four, five feet from your valve assembly, hang an outdoor rated timer right there and you're good to go. Was it worth the price to my customer and to me to have this done rather than separate trenching or pulling in, pulling wire in weird places? <laughs> oh yeah, yeah, definitely, definitely it was. So now in one form or another, you've gotten the wire from your timer controller out to where your valves are. Now at that valve assembly, we gather the white wire. We gather the white wire. We have stripped the casing back so we have enough colored wires to reach all of our valves that are right there. And we start with our common wire. Strip off, you know, three quarters of an inch or an inch off the casing. And then you're going to take one wire from each solenoid off of each valve. One. 
one and one only. You're going to strip a little bit more of the casing off of each of that solenoid wire and that white wire and those one wire from each solenoid are going to be joined together. That is going to be your common connection. You're going to twist those together and put a dry lock connector on them and make sure with a little tug test that they're nice and secure. Now your common part of your wiring is done. Now the remaining wires from your solenoid, you have another black wire or white wire, whatever it is. Now you're going to correspond those colors that you connected at your timer to the remaining wires at your valves. Remember the notes you made that I suggest? Maybe your first two valves are for your lawn area. Then the third one is going to be for your drip irrigation in your beds. And maybe you have a fourth one that's going to water a vegetable garden, whatever it is. Now gather the remaining wire one at a time from each solenoid and join it to that colored wire. Maybe the first two, maybe your yellow and green one are going to, from your controller, that's going to be your two lawn valves. So the yellow and the blue, and you're going to take one from your first solenoid and wire it to your yellow one. And then one wire from your second solenoid, wire it to your green one. And then the second one is uh, the brown wire for your drip irrigation and maybe a green wire for your vegetable garden. And now you've completed the whole circuit. You have all the common wires joined together in probably one larger dry lock wire nut and then the individual colored wire to the remaining solenoid wire. And now you have your power one. It does not matter. It does not matter which wire you pull because it's a unipolar solenoid. It won't matter. Just as long as you're pulling one of those solenoid wires from each valve and wiring it to your white wire. You now, once you get all these things put together, you kind of have a kind of a spaghetti's nest, an organized sort of spaghetti's nest of wires at the valves. And what I used to do is I used to take the, um, the twist ties that came with the solenoid wire out of the box and I'd use those twist ties to carefully and neatly gather up the wire bundle that you've created. And then I would uh, use the twist ties to make it nice and neat. And then I would place those wires in between one of the valves and kind of tape it together to the pipe and the bottom of a valve so the, the wire nuts were facing up, up so water didn't roll into them and tape it there so it's nice and neat and has a great professional look. And this doesn't matter if you have the above ground anti-siphon valves or you have the inline valves that you've put into a box. You're still going to tidy up that nest of wires and join them in a, in a form or fashion that really makes it look professional and neat. One pro tip that I can really leave you with here today is create your valve assembly so you have less than an inch between each valve as you put them all together. This way your wiring will be compact and manageable. If you space those valves like 12 inches apart for some reason, then you're going to have to, because your solenoid wires won't meet the way they should, because they're only probably, I don't know, 14 inches, 12 inches, something like that out of the box. 
So you're going to have to join two of them together and then pigtail it to a single wire and then run that longer single wire to your white wire and join them. And it just becomes kind of further complicated that it doesn't have to be. So make nice, neat, and compact valve assemblies rather than space them far apart. That, yeah, nah, I never did it that way. And it makes it a lot easier when it comes to this portion of your landscape assembly, the wiring. So to review, I hope by now you kind of grasp the ease at which wiring can be accomplished. With these steps complete, you're ready to test your work. <laughs> a lot of people go, uh, yikes. But it's really not that big a deal. First of all, before you test, let's just cover one base right here now. Your water at the valves should already be on. You should be leak free. You have manually already activated these valves and you know that they work. Now we're just going to test them electrically to make sure that your solenoids are operating correctly, that the timer is operating correctly, and it's sending that little millivolt electrical signal out to those solenoids so the magnet and everything works. Not to get too technical, all right? So, we go back to our timer. We follow our instruction booklet and we put the timer into test mode. We set it for like one minute and then we activate the system. And it should activate each valve in sequence for one minute. Now, you can advance it after 15 seconds if you want. Once it works and you know it works, you can hit the, the arrow button or whatever your timer tells you to do and advance it to the next one. So you've tested valve one, it came on perfect. Valve two, after you had advanced it, it came on perfect. The drip system came on perfect and your vegetable garden one came on just fine. So you know that there's electrical current that has gone from your timer through those wires to your valves and have activated them. And more importantly, once you advanced it, it shut that one down and activated the other one. You did it, simple irrigation wiring. You can see that it is not a super complicated or certainly not dangerous electrical work. Is it a little tedious? Yeah, yeah, it's a little tedious for some. But for me, <laughs> it was always a great day at work for me because I knew I was closing in on the finish line of the job and closing in rather quickly. When I got to this part, landscape wiring, it was generally a clean day for me because I wasn't down in the dirt. I wasn't planting. I wasn't in trenches and moving boulders or whatever else I had to do. Now I got all that other, that stuff's done now. Now I've got clean, so to speak, electrical work, provided that I didn't have to crawl into some dirty, dusty, godforsaken crawl space. Okay, so what do you think? Is that pretty, pretty straightforward enough to understand? Remember, by listening to me, all you have to do is, if you didn't get it, back this thing up. Watch me over on YouTube, or hey, last resort, for the guys listening, you could pull out the instruction manual and look at that thing. So, let's talk about landscape wiring now. Depending on the complexity of your landscape lighting system, the wiring of it is really straightforward almost more simplistic than irrigation. And it is safe and requires very little expertise. It really does. It's just a small skill set that you're going to master 
And once you do it once, like I said at the top of the show, you'll remember this the rest of your life. You know, the components of a landscape lighting system are really limited. You have a transformer or timer, the wire, usually a 12 to landscape lighting type of wire. You can get smaller like 14 and 16 too, depending on the size of your system, the number or the distance that you're running your wire, etc. And at the end, you generally have a two-wired landscape fixture out in the yard, maybe some connectors, and that's about it. Oh, a whopping four or five pieces that you have to maintain and get your head around. So starting at the beginning, your transformer is a simple plug-in appliance, just like your hairdryer, just like your espresso machine, okay? It is going to have a built-in transformer in it. That's why these things are kind of heavy for the size that you see. When you pick them up out of the box, you go, wow, that's kind of heavy. It's because the transformer is heavy inside of it. That transformer is going to take your high voltage current coming from your house plug and reduce it down to much lower voltage. If you have a fancier transformer, you will have what they call multi-volt lugs, usually color-coded. And these are on the fancier boxes. The, the more standard box store type boxes, you're gonna have lugs that are on the bottom side of the transformer, and it's much, much simpler, and generally only a 12-volt current. But these fancier ones, they'll have 12-volt lugs, 13, 15, even sometimes 17-volt lugs that you can tap into. Why? Because the increased voltage the transformer is giving each lug accommodates longer runs out into the landscape with your, with your landscape wire. Therefore, you have much less chance of voltage drop, hence dull lighting, dull bulbs, dim bulbs at the end of your each run. So your wire is usually 12-2 landscape lighting wire. Always black. I've never seen it in another color before. If your fixtures are using LED bulbs, which I highly recommend in this day and age, and not incandescent bulbs, your 12-2 wire will be more than enough for the average residential lighting project. It will. With incandescent bulbs, you can suffer that voltage drop on long wire runs, especially if you put too many fixtures on the wire. Like if you had a 75 foot run and you decided to put eight incandescent bulbs of various wattages on there, you're gonna have a dim bulb at the end. Therefore, more wire would be needed to offset that voltage drop. Or you could go larger wire instead of 12 to, you might go 10-2, or I've even used 8-2 on a very large project where I had a long distance to run. And I didn't even have that many bulbs or fixtures activated. It was the distance. It was probably 200 plus feet running out there. And I used the 14 or 15 watt or 15 volt lug in order to do that. So in this day and age, guys, go LED, please go LED you won't need as much wire. The bulbs are a little more expensive, yes, but the longevity and lifespan of those bulbs is 10x compared to an incandescent standard uh, landscape 
fixture bulb. Your fixtures are generally those, the two wires, that's all. They, they come out of the fixture with two wires and they will usually require some assembly out of the box. That you'll have to put together the hood, you might have to put together a stake, you might have to do a couple of things. And of course, you probably have to put the bulb in as well, in some of them. I used to, the way I used to do it, is I would go out into the yard of my project and I would place the lighting fixtures where they were gonna go. If I had up lights on trees, if I was highlighting or up lighting a water feature, or if I was doing path lighting, I would go out there and place them. And then I would have way back in the beginning of the project when I had trenches opened, that's when my wiring would be laid in the trenches. And then I would loop them up, put a stake in the ground at each location, and then tape a loop of wire at that location and then continue on with the landscape project, burying the trenches and everything else. But at the end, then I would have those landscape lighting cables already in place with a big loop, plenty of room to work with, etc. So you have all your field cabling already in place before you even get to the part where we're wiring stuff up like today. And I used to have many lengths, depending on where that transformer was gonna go, there was many lengths of coiled wire at the base of where that transformer was gonna go. And I had feet of extra wire left over and there was never a doubt of whether that wire was gonna reach that transformer location. Always better to have too much than not enough. <laughs> you don't have enough and you gotta start scrambling with splices and extra valve boxes to protect the splice. And oh, geez, you know, just make sure that you've laid all the cabling in that you're gonna need. So let's start at the transformer timer location and then we will do our wiring from there out into the field. If you have a fancier transformer, you will generally have a front-facing removable faceplate off of the box. And when you look inside, the transformer is generally the, the top half or two-thirds of the transformer itself. And then down below, you will have your connection lug line down there. You may have a built-in timer or a place to put a timer, and you may have something of like a photocell wire plug-in if you wanna go even fancier. You will see that you'll have a common lug, and this is where one side of each wire is going to go into. You will take and split that 12-2 cable, cut a little notch in the end of it, and then pull it apart and make sure that you have plenty of length to get to each wherever it's gonna go. I used to pull it 18, 24 inches when I got it up in there, and then when I did a little test length run, I could see, oh, I've got, I've got a foot too much. Cut it off, strip the end, and on that one side of each wire is gonna go in to your common lug, almost like what we did in irrigation. So you take one side of each wire and put it into your common, common lug. Screw that common lug down and secure those two pieces of wire in there. I used to strip off like three quarters or one inch worth of casing off of it and then put them in both sides of the lug nut and then screw it down. It generally had like a little copper clamp that would screw down with it and that way it secured it. I didn't want to put the wires in where one wire was sitting on top of another unless I absolutely had no other choice. 
I like to have them side by side sitting up in there where they both receive equal tension from the, the screws. Now, on the other side of each wire, that you're going to strip off an inch and you're going to put it into the voltage lug of your choosing, whatever. If you have a, shall we say, a more frugal transformer, like you might get at the box stores, all your lug connections are going to be at the bottom. You won't have an internal connection. You'll have them on the bottom. The common lug will be on one side and then you'll have generally two, maybe three power lugs. And you can see why it's kind of more of a, a basic transformer rather than a fancy transformer. Now, from there, from there you can, from your transformer timer, you can run that wire. It's inserted it there. Now you come out of it. I always used to put the wire in a PVC sleeve going into the transformer or going into the building or wherever, just to protect the wire from rodents, protect the wire from UV exposure. And then I either spray painted it a camouflaging type of color, or I had the customer come out and paint it the house color. So it would protect the, the PVC pipe as well. You can use metal conduit. There's nothing wrong with that, but I just use PVC because I usually had a whole bunch of it around. So now your wires are out in the trenches. You have your loops stationed at where your lighting has, you've decided that's where it's gonna be. And I'm talking a loop that is probably two feet in length at least. And you go to each one of these fixture stations, you have your fixture assembled and you have it laying down next to this loop and stake. Undo the tape off the stake, cut the wire, strip the wire, and then take the two legs from your fixture, strip that wire, and then you are going to wire again two legs of this loop to one side of the fixture. And then the other wires from your loop to the other fixture wire and you have it completed and you're going to put the oh, like a dry lock connector something that has some kind of dielectric grease inside of it waterproofing you're going to secure that down do a little tug test on it make sure it's nice and secure and then you're just going to leave it for now move on to your next fixture and repeat this throughout your entire project once you're all done and you you know that you wired everything up correctly now you're going to go back to the transformer making sure that all your fixtures have bulbs that work, that there are no breaks, you haven't forgotten a fixture or you've cut a loop and you didn't wire it in. Everything is connected, you're positive. Then you're gonna go back to there and you're gonna flip on the on switch and then go check each fixture and make sure that the light is on. It should be on. If you followed these instructions, you followed your manufacturer's instructions, you've done everything that you're supposed to do, everything should be on. Now, what happens if you have six lights on one wire and that last one is kind of dim? Even if it's LED, it's dim. Well, first of all, if all the others are okay and just this one is dim, you've had some kind of voltage drop. You either have too small a wire with too long of run or you have too many fixtures on one wire. Disconnect that last fixture. Check the remaining ones that are on that run. If brightness is correct and only that one is dim, you have to check the bulb and you have to check your connection again. Because usually if they're LED bulbs, you won't have any dimming at all. It would take many hundreds of feet 
to get a dim LED bulb. And chances are, for most of us, we're not running that much. So check your connections, check that bulb. And oftentimes, that's where the problem lies. It's generally not in the length of run or the voltage drop. If it is, and you have a higher volt lug that is still available, maybe you go to a 15 volt. And if that corrects it, perfect. You've done, you've done the, the troubleshooting. I never had any voltage drop because I kind of learned through experience how many I could put on each line before I'd have a problem. LED, when I left, LED was all the rage and I used it full force and never had a problem with them. And I had bulbs that were lasting six to seven years at Wheat Patch Ranch when we sold and they were still working without a problem. Incandescence, incandescence, I can almost guarantee that you will end up with three years or less and you'll have to start replacing bulbs. So now that everything is working, what you have left to do is to display your fixtures correctly by putting them down in the soil, burying your wire connections or placing them up inside a stake or however you can do it to protect them the best. What I used to do a lot is I would wire nut everything up with a dry lock type of connector and then I used electrical tape around that and Never had a problem with that kind of stuff. Once you see that all your fixtures are working, then you need to test your timer. And if you have a photo cell, you need to test it as well. And generally that takes place when it's getting dark. Go out there and activate your system. Uh, make sure that your photo cell is turning things on at dusk. If it does, it will 99% assured turn it off at dawn. If not, if you don't have one of those, you're doing the old Christmas light mechanical type of timer, then you can set it to whatever time you know it's going to be dark. Say, this time of year, we're talking May of 23 when you're listening to this, you know most likely it's gonna be dark around the nine o'clock hour. Set your little green peg to nine o'clock and you want it to run whatever many hours. Some people like them all night because they use it kind of as a backup security thing or but maybe you only want it for till one or two in the morning. Whatever it is, put your red pin in there and then test it, okay? Take it and trip it and see that everything goes on. If everything's working, <laughs> my friend, you have completed your landscape lighting wiring. As you can see, both irrigation and landscape lighting wiring is fairly simple. It is very safe and makes for a good morning project or maybe a weekend project, depending how involved it is. You know, the explanations that I've given you here and the installation tips are based on several hundreds of installations over the years. Plus, <laughs> I'm not immune to it, going back and referring to manufacturer's installation manuals when needed. Are there shortcuts? Are there shortcuts to save time or test a little easy? Yeah, there are, but I'm not gonna share them with you right here. If this is your first or second time, I want you as a potential DIY homeowner student to do it the right way the first time and learn it that way. And then if you do more, you know, or you get in the business and you're doing it, then you can learn your own shortcuts. I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna share shortcuts with you here. Hey, did you learn a little something today? I hope you did. I really like to make a special shout out to all those folks who patronized Yard Coach this week for the checklist, for the books. 
even the consultation that I did with David back in Tennessee this past week. Thank you, David. I very much appreciate each and every one of you for your business. Hey, if you haven't yet, please check out the website for your chance to educate yourself to even a higher landscape DIYer level. I would greatly appreciate your business. You can always check the Amazon page, and I hope to see you over on the YouTube channel for maybe a little more visual-based example of this week's topic. Thanks for sticking with me to the end. Make sure you tell somebody about the channel and the podcast, and I will see you next Friday. As always, to your landscape success. Bye for now. Hey friends, Maestro here. Just dropping a reminder to check out the podcast description for discount opportunities and any important links. Also, if you're listening to this podcast on a specific app, please don't forget to rate and review the show. It helps us grow and continue to provide these free podcasts. Again, thanks for listening to this week's show and we'll see you right here next week.